Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray. Hope you've all had a wonderful weekend, had a great time um, worshiping the Lord on the Sabbath and partaking of the sacrament. Hope you had the chance to be able to do that. If you didn't, um, I pray that you'll be able to make the most of the week and that you will be able to find the presence of the Lord in our lives as we study the scriptures. Um, I've um, I'm looking forward to this week as we're going into Hebrews. The, the book of Hebrews has a lot of really good, heavy-hitting chapters. Well, they all do. <laughs> they really all do have some pretty good stuff in there. But the Hebrews is one I'm a little more familiar with, um, one that I've kind of I've looked at before, and I remember things from it. Um, and today in Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to be touching a lot on the personage of God and of Jesus Christ, which, I mean, of course, the Bible being a testament of Jesus Christ should talk quite a bit about him, don't you think? Anyways, before I get too far down the road and too far gone, let's go ahead and start off with a word of prayer, and then we will jump right in. All right. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee so very much for this day. We thank thee for the guidance that thou hast given unto us, and we ask thee to please bless us that we might be able to be wise and kind and patient stewards of the things that thou hast given us. We ask thee, Father, to please grant us a portion of thy spirit that we might be able to um, feel of thy love and that we might be able to understand the scriptures as they come to us. Help us to find the answers to the problems that we have in our lives at the moment. Help us to draw nearer to thee. Father, please forgive us of our sins and help us to become better and more devout disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to change our lives for the better. And we pray for these things ever so humbly, Father, in the name of thy Son, even Jesus Christ. Amen. All righty. So like I said, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today. Um, so if you're following along, go ahead and jump there. And then if you're new to the show, I typically like to read a lot, read quite, yeah, quite a bit out of the uh, the Institute manuals provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can find those either at a church distribution center or you can find them more readily on the Gospel Library app under Institute or, or under, under Books and Lessons and then under Institute. And then uh, you sc- scroll through all the, the, the many, many manuals, and you find the New Testament student manual, and you'll find kind of where I'm pulling a lot of my stuff that I'm reading from. All right, so anyways, chapter one, let's get into this. Chapter one, verse one. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's who, being the brightest of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. All right. Just absolutely cram-packed full of doctrine right there. Just, it's full. And the Testament, the New Testament manual reflects that in how much there is to read. So, uh, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The, epo- the, epistle, the epistle's Jewish Christian audience was struggling with whether to ter- return to their former Jewish ways. Therefore, it was important for them to hear a testimony that Jesus Christ is better than the angels because he is the Son of God, the heir of all things, the creator of the worlds. Uh, Jesus Christ is the express image of his Father. The term express image comes from the Greek word character. 
I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I'm trying, which re refers to a representation or reproduction of something else, which is, which as the impression, sorry, sorry, let's, let's try this over again. Okay. Which refers to the representation or reproduction of something else, such as the impression a signet ring leaves in soft wax. This phrase in Hebrews 1.3 indicates that Jesus Christ is a representation of Heavenly Father and shares his divine character. In like manner, the Doctrine and Covenants indicates that Seth was the express likeness of his father Adam. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles explained that Jesus, that Jesus being the express image of his Father is a witness to both the ancient and modern world of what God the Father is like. He says, quote, Of course the centuries-long drift away from belief in such a perfect and caring Father hasn't been helped any by the man-made man creeds of erring generations that, which described God variously as unknown and unknowable formless, passionless, elusive, ethereal, simultaneously everywhere and nowhere at all. Certainly that does not describe the being we behold through the eyes of these prophets, nor does it match the living, breathing, embodied Jesus of Nazareth, who was and is the brightest of his glory and the express image of his Father. In that sense, Jesus did not come to improve God's view of man nearly so much as he came to improve man's view of God. That comes from his October 2003 General Conference talk titled The Grandeur of God. So, yeah, there's a lot there. Like I said, there's a lot, a lot there about about the being of, of God and who he is. There is a little bit about as well uh, on um, who made the worlds, but it pulls to um, a, a, previous, a, a previous section. But that is one thing to keep in mind is that we have another reference here that Jesus Christ was the one who created the worlds, who made the worlds, the various creations of the the not only our earth, but the, the worlds that fly around us in the universe. Continuing on to verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be unto be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten unto the world, he hath he saith, and let and let all the angels of God worship him. And okay, so there's, a, there's a Joseph Smith translation here. Is that yeah? Let's 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 read that. Um, and again, so we're starting over at verse six, starting over. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith. And let all the angels of God worship him who maketh his ministers as a flame of fire. And the angels, he saith, angels are ministering spirits. And of the angels, he say, he saith, angels are ministering spirits. Seven. And of the angels, he hath said, who make, oh, so verse eight now, sorry. Verse eight. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture, as a vesture shall thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. Thou, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. 
But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be their heirs of salvation? All right. So there's quite a bit here. Let's, uh, like I keep saying, <laughs> let's jump into the New Testament manual and read a little bit about what it says, and then we'll kind of discuss a little bit about what we're reading here. All right. So, uh, quotations from the Old Testament. Several verses in Hebrews teach the importance of Jesus Christ in God's plan by drawing upon the following, upon the following Old Testament references. There's Psalms 2 7, Psalms 8 4 through 6, Psalms 40, 45 6 through 7. Uh, Psalms 102, 25 through 27, Psalms 104, 4, and Psalms 110, 1. Using Old Testament quotations in his, in this epistle to the Jewish Christians would have added authority to its reasoning and doctrinal teachings. So that's, that's what, you know, as, as they said at the beginning, the whole point of Hebrews here was we've got people who are kind of debating on whether or not they should return back to their old Jewish traditions and they should go back to living the law of Moses. Um, so that they're, they're kind of debating this, this switch back. And Paul is laying out, okay, Jesus Christ, you, you, I'm, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is who Jesus is. And he's laying out who Christ is based on his own testimony and the testimony of the scriptures. So he's combining these two things together. He's pulling in Psalms, scriptures that for many Jews are very important and very useful. And so he's pulling on those and showing who Christ is and that Christ is, he's not simply another, another individual in the crowd. He's, he's God's only begotten son. He is the, the heir to the throne. And therefore, when he comes down and brings doctrine, that doctrine supersedes any doctrine that may have been received through angels or through heavenly, heavenly visitations or whatever it may be. The new doctrine, the new covenant that Christ brings to us is now that gospel which he would have us follow. It is now the highest and holiest law which should be followed. All right, jumping on to all the angels of God worship him. The angels of God who worship Jesus Christ are spirit children of our heavenly father. The Joseph Smith translation in Hebrews 1.7 indicates that angels are ministering spirits. Uh, Hebrews 1.14 teaches that in our Father's plan, one of the purposes of these angels or ministering spirits is to minister to his children on the earth. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland stated, quote, I believe we need to sp I, we need to speak of and believe in and bear testimony to the ministry of angels more than we sometimes do. They constitute one of God's great methods of witnessing through the veil. Close quote. Bruce C. Hoffman who later became a member of the Seventy, pointed out that angelic ministrations can be either seen or unseen, saying, quote, Some of these personal visits were dramatic and powerful. Think of the angels who ministered to the Nephite children in the account of 3 Nephi 17, or the angel who chastised Alma and the sons of Mosiah in answer to, to a father's prayer. Other personal manifestations have been so quiet that those who received them were unaware of the angelic presence. The, ministering, the ministry of these unseen angels is among the most sublime forms of interaction between heaven and earth, powerfully expressing God's concern for us and bestowing tangible assurance and spiritual sustenance upon those in great need. So I, I, would, I would suggest that you think back on 
And that, that's one reason I think why, uh, you know, I think it was uh, President Henry B. Eyring who, who suggested writing in your journal and at the end of each day, writing down uh, how you saw the hand of God in your life, seeing those interactions, those angelic ministrations in your life. And he says, oftentimes at the very beginning, you don't see all that much. But as you begin to think and as, as you begin to train yourself to see God's hand in your life, you begin to see that they are there. God does take specific interest in your life. And he sends his angelic ministers to aid you in that, in that effort. All right. Um, we, that's the finish of chapter one, but I think we're doing pretty good on time. So why don't we go ahead and jump over to chapter two and do a two for one today. Um, Hebrews chapter two. All right. Therefore, we ought to to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that have heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto the angel, for unto the angels hath he hath he not put into subjection the world to come, where, whereof we speak? But one in, in a certain place testified, saying, What is a man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with the glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. All right, so a little, uh, I guess we got, let's read it a little bit further. Verse 8, sorry. Thou hast, thou hast put all things in subjection, in, in subjection under his feet. For in, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. All right, so a little lower than the angels. Paul drew upon um, the Messianic prophecy of Psalms 8, 4 through 6, when he stated in Hebrews 2, 9, that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. Christ condescended from his premortal throne and came to earth so that he could experience mortality with its physical restrictions. So that's, he's kind of, he's kind of showing the dichotomy the the duality, I guess we should say, not the dichotomy, but the duality of Christ in the fact that in, in his pre-earth life, he was above the angels. He was the only begotten of the Father. He was the firstborn in the spirit world. Then he came to earth and became subjected to all flesh. He, he was the lowest of the low, so that he might experience all and walk with all man. Then he overcame the world in that lowly state, and therefore returns to his throne as the king of kings and to his exalted state, thus giving all glory to the Father. So, an awesome little um, duality of Christ there for you. Okay, verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom 
are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. All right, so um, as we continue on, there's going to be this section about uh, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Um, these verses in Hebrews 2 explain that because Jesus Christ lived as a mortal and experienced the trials and temptations of mortality, he is able to help us as we face our own trials and temptations. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland described why Jesus is able to succor those who are tempted. He says, quote, When Christ bids us to yield, to submit, to obey the Father, he knows how to help us do that. He, he has walked that way, asking us to do what he has done. He has made it easy. He has made it safer. He has made it very much easier for our travel. He knows where the sharp stones and stumbling blocks lie, and where the thorns and the thistles are the most severe. He knows where the path is perilous, and he knows which way to go when the road forks and nightfall comes. He knows this because he has suffered pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind that he may know how to succor his people according to their infirmities. To succor means to run to. Christ will run to us and is running even now if we will but receive the extended arm of his mercy. To those who stagger or stumble, he is there to steady and strengthen us. In the end, he is there to save us, and for all this he gave his life. However dim our days, however dim our days may seem, they have been a lot darker for the Savior of the world. Close quote. That comes from a, a conference, uh, a church educational system conference talk titled, Therefore What? Continue, we continue on. On another occasion, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland wrote of Christ's compassion and ability to help us, uh, writing, quote, Christ walked the path every mortal is called to walk so that he would know how to succor and strengthen us in our most difficult times. He knows the deepest and most personal burdens we carry. He knows the most public and poignant pains we bear. He descended below all such grief in order that he might lift us above it. There is no anguish or sorrow or sadness of life that he has not suffered in our behalf and borne away upon his own valiant and compassionate so shoulders. This kind of leans into the whole idea that, you know, um, a lot of times I, I remember feeling this way as a teenager, and I think probably most teenagers do when they kind of want to throw that in their their parents' faces or whoever whoever's face they might be when they're struggling and having a hard time, and they want to say, "Well, you just don't understand. You don't understand what it's like. You don't know what it's like to be me, or whatever." Or, or these these various quotes, various um, cliches, I guess you could say. But the truth of the fact is that God, Jesus Christ, does know. Jesus Christ knows explicitly what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to feel the pains that you're feeling. He knows what it's like to be at that point. And he knows the way to get out of it. He knows the way to come back from it. He knows how to live to bring the joy and peace that we're looking for back into our lives. And if we'll listen and follow him, he can help us achieve that state. He can help us return but we have to be willing to follow him. Verse 11, for, behold, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. 
saying, I will declare thy name unto unto my brethren in the midst of the church, and I will, and will sing and of the church will I in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as for for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, where there verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, and the seed of Abraham. Um, the seed of Abraham refers not only to the literal bloodline, the literal blood lineage descendants of Abraham, but also to all those who enter into the gospel covenant. Those who are holy of Gentile lineage, when they are converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ are and are baptized, are adopted into the lineage of Abraham. Um, if we look at Doctrine and Covenants 132, it explains the promises made to Abraham extended to his seed today. But that's the, that's the, really what Paul is getting at is that Christ is not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed to stand with us in our darkest moments and to help us out of them. He's, he's not ashamed to, to come to us and to succor us in our time of need. He's not, he does not shy away from us. He does not shy away from the work. He's done the work. He did the work on on Calvary and in and in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's done the work. And he's willing to allow us to work our way through the process to return to our previous state of cleanliness as we as we repent from our sins. Now that means we have to do the work. Are we willing to stand with Christ? Are we ashamed to stand with Christ? Are we ashamed to call ourselves Christians, to live like Christians, to show that we believe in Christ through our daily actions? Verse 17, Wherefore, in all things it behooved, behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. We often hear the word advocate. You know, Christ is our advocate with the Father. He is he's our advocate. He's our our inter, inter, intercessory or, or inter... Uh, blanking on the word. Intermediate between us and the Father. And I think sometimes we forget just what kind of a life Christ lived, regardless of the kind of life that was given to him. We, we see people or we are people who become bitter and angry and spiteful because, well, the world's just a mean and terrible and nasty place, and it's just dark, and, you know, you got to be tough to survive. you got to be willing to, to stab some backs, you know, break some eggs to make an omelet, sort of, a, sort of a mentality. But the truth of the matter is that if we look at Christ, a man who wasn't able to be born in a, in a respectable area, born in semi-bondage under the Roman rule, 
grew up as a low as a trades worker, which in today's culture would be seen as lower than, and in their culture also, it's not seen as prestigious or very, you know, there's no prestige in, in that. There's no, not, he's not, he wasn't an elite. And so then he, then he's kind of shunned and outcast from place to place. He lives, he grew up in a village where, as we see from the words of the apostles, can any good thing come from, from Nazareth, or I think that was the, the the quote. Whatever city he came from, there was kind of the, it was kind of the the butt of the joke. Always it was that that place out there that no one really likes. And then he goes from place to place, trying to do his best to help the people in need. And the people who should be trying to help him are the ones who are shunning and pushing him away, and trying to kill him, and trying to do everything they can to stop him. Now, for most of us, that would make us incredibly bitter <laughs> to feel, feel like I'm trying to help you. I have the ability to help you and to make your lives better, but you don't want it. You want to continue going down this path that's terrible for you. Why? And we, and we, we might be tempted to give up and say, fine, fine, go ahead, go ahead. If you want to go down that path and destroy yourselves, so be it. Good luck. Have fun. But that's not what the Savior did. That's not what the Savior does. Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, stayed by the sides of those who needed him and continues to stand by the side of those who are willing to let him help them. Brothers and sisters, I ask you today, reach out to him. If you haven't said your prayers yet today, say your prayers. Thank him. Speak with him. Converse with him. At the very least, turn off all the computers. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Walk away from all the chaos of the day. And sit quietly. And listen and feel and wait. God wants to to spend time with you today. Will you make time to spend time with him? I testify that he loves you. That he's reaching out for you. He's reaching out for the, the loved ones you have around you. I testify that he will strengthen us in our times of need according to his will that we might become more strong, more devout, that we might become more like him. I testify that these things are true, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.